Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Tabletop for Two podcast. I'm Brad Van Vutt. I'm Emily Van Vutt. And we are back once again. Um, this is going to be a pretty busy show because we have lots of uh, new games to talk about. Um, some we liked, some we didn't like yeah, so, so much. There's going to be actually a lot more probably negativity on this one than, uh, than you're probably accustomed <laughs> to hearing from us. And then uh, later on in the show, we're going to talk about Antoine Boza. Uh, we're going to take a look at his games, see how they play with two players, because there are quite a few uh, that Emily and I have played of his. He's one of our favorite designers. So we'll take a look to see what games of his are good with two and what games are not. Mm-hmm. But uh, before we uh, get started, as usual, uh, just a reminder that you can find us online at Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, search at Tabletop for Two. You can pull us up that way. You can also subscribe to the show at Stitcher, iTunes, uh, Pocket Casts, or any other podcatcher of your choice as well. Um, so let's start it off with one that... Emily has been waiting for Chomping for a while. at the bit for this one. Yep, we backed this on Kickstarter a few months ago. We talked about it when we uh, when we did a Kickstarter look of uh, you know last summer. As far as games that we were looking at, this is Thirteen Days, uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. This is from Jolly Roger Games. Um, essentially, this is Twilight Struggle Light. Light, yes the the <laughs> the, the filler version of yes. Twilight Struggle. If you want to play Twilight Struggle and you only have thirty to forty five minutes, this is your game. I would agree. So the gameplay is very similar. It's um it's a card driven format. Um you have a board that has different uh battlefields during the Cuban Missile Crisis. The thing where this game differs is that you have battlefields that are military battlegrounds, political battlegrounds, and you have world opinion battlegrounds where um it, it's a little bit abstracted. It's not quite as, you know, country by country like Twilight Struggle is. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are trying to influence them by placing cubes. Obviously, one player is going to be the U.S., one player is going to be Russia. Um, and during your turn, you have these cards that you can play. And much like in Twilight Struggle, when you play them, they come with a certain number of their their command points uh, in this one where you can play out your cubes. But they work exactly like influence in Twilight Struggle, mm-hmm. um, and the cards also have an event. Obviously, if you're playing a, well, not so obviously, but if you're playing a U.S. card and the, you're the U.S. player, um, you have a choice between using the event on the card or the command cubes. Um, same with the United Nations cards, regardless of which player you are, but if you play a card from the opposite faction, um, before you get to use the command cubes, the, the other player has the option to use the event on the card for them. Um, where this one is cool, though, is that at the beginning, there's the game takes place over three rounds. At the beginning of each round, each player draws three agenda cards, and the agenda cards are the cards that you're going to score at the end of the round. Possibly, possibly, because you're going to actually you're going to show your opponent the three cards that you have, but you only pick one. Yes, you secretly choose one, and at the end of the round, you reveal the card that you chose. Um, if you score points off of that card, you move it on the prestige track. They have the tug of war track, like they do in Why Twilight are you Struggle. Wagging your finger? They can't see us. I know it's okay, <laughs> and uh, and you and that's how you score points in the game. Um, so it's kind of nifty because you can rope a dope your opponent because like you can make them think you're trying to go for one objective when in reality you're slowly working on. I rope a dope you one. several times last night. I was doing my best. Um, nuclear war can break out in this one as well. Um, there is a death contract for each of the three different types of battlegrounds, and as you add lots of cubes and in one action to a certain battleground, it'll increase the DEFCON level. Uh, likewise, you can actually remove influence from areas, which will help lower the DEFCON level. And you have to do this because if you end your turn with any of your battlegrounds sitting at DEFCON 1, or if all three of your battlegrounds are sitting at the DEFCON 2 level, then you've accidentally triggered nuclear war 
door dun, and dun, you lose dun. the game that way. Um, and you play through until uh, until three rounds are over. Then there's a um, aftermath round. But the one of the cool things this game does is in Twilight Struggle, you hold a card for the next round that you don't use. In this game, you take whatever card you don't use because each round you only play four of the five cards that you draw, um, and it goes into this aftermath pile. And the aftermath pile is a kind of a bonus two points at the end of the game for the player whose faction has the most influence in the pile at the end. So it creates some tough decisions because obviously you want to use your cards during the round, but if, but if you're stuck with an opponent's card in your hand, then it's going to go in that aftermath pile and potentially give them points at the end of the game. So it's a, it's, it's a, it's a real tug of war there to figure out, you know, which, what's more beneficial, let them use this event, but then I get to put my card in the aftermath area. Well, see, that's how I got you last night because I had so many of my cards in the aftermath pile, but you know why? Because I'm holding them in my hand because they weren't really going to help me. If I use them for influence or if I use them for the event. So I was like, well, we're just going to save these and put them in this pile. Well, in in case you couldn't tell by the excitement in my voice while we were talking about this, we really, really enjoyed 13 Days. Yes. Um, Like I said, they they advertised it as Twilight Struggle in 45 Minutes. It really does give the feel. Obviously, it, it doesn't have the grand scale of a Twilight Struggle. Um, well, it d- if it did, it wouldn't take. 30 well, right, it wouldn't take forty five minutes. minutes. <laughs> but and and it doesn't feel exactly the same too because with Twilight Struggle, you know what scoring cards are out there, and it's just a matter of when the scoring cards appear. But like you can kind of, if you're familiar enough with the game, you know generally where those cards are in the deck, and you can have a good idea of when they'll appear, so you can adjust your strategy that way. In this one, you really do have to kind of analyze your opponent and see what are they going for. You know, sometimes as as the player, it might be beneficial to completely, you know, kind of reveal that you're not going for one of the three possible agendas that you uh, that you have available, just because you need... I had to do that last night to decrease my DEFCON, because I had all my cubes in the right. level two. Well, and the thing is, like, the actions in this game are so scarce. Because, like, let's, I mean, if the game takes place over three rounds, you only get to do 12 12 actions, yeah, yeah, in the entire game. So every action is so vitally important that you really have to make the most economic use of them as you go along. So I I really enjoy the tightness that the game has um, and making really, that that's where the tough decisions come in, is really agonizing over, you know, the limited actions that you have and doing what you can with those. Um, so I highly, highly, highly recommend this game. Um, if you're a fan of Twilight Struggle, if you're a fan of card-driven games. Uh, if you're a fan of learning stuff while you play games. Yeah. Because, see, Brad and I, we're not big history people. But uh, since we're playing Twilight Struggle and everything and now playing this one, I've learned a few things. Mm-hmm. Just because, like I said, I was not big when, I was not big into history in school. I don't think you were either. I enjoyed history, but I mean, you were even, more into presidents. Yeah, but even in even in like history textbooks, like you know, they talk about the Cuban Missile Crisis, and it's but they kind of gl- it's like two paragraphs. It, yeah. They're like, hey, this thing happened, and hey, the nuclear war all this started, but you know, Khrushchev and Kennedy figured it out, and that was you know that was the end of that. So, um, but yeah, thirteen days, very good game. It's also a good intro to like card driven games. I think if you've never played one of these games before, this is a good like starter version as well because it's simple enough to grasp um but yeah i can't recommend it enough when this does make its way into retail availability i i would say definitely pick it up it's a great two-player game Mm -hmm. um and well worth your time 
Uh, next on the list is one we picked up in a math trade recently, and that's the cave. It's a game about spelunking. It is. This is this is the <laughs> spiritual sequel to. Uh, if any of you are familiar with K two, um, this is kind of a pseudo sequel to that game um, from the same designer as well. Uh, this is a game where you're exploring a cave, as Emily said, as you're going you're through. Spelunking. You are spelunking. That's what this that called. is that is the correct term. Sorry, forgive me. I'm having an adult beverage. It's been a rough week. <laughs> it has been a rough week for us, but. <sighs> Yeah, cave. Um, you're exploring caves. So as you go through the cave, um, when you go into a new area, you draw a tile from a stack of tiles, and the you know there's four different stacks that you go through throughout the game, and it will reveal a new room in the cave. And the new room might have something for you to explore. Like it might be have a like a scenic photograph that you can take, or it might be like a like a lake underground lake that you can where you got to go. Right, down you can descend further. further into the cave, um, and you have supplies with you to help navigate it's a, it's these a resource management kind of thing v- well, very much so very much so because the the deal is um you start at your home base that has all of your supplies in it and as you get further down in the cave at the beginning of all of your turns you have to spend you have food. to eat some food um and if you and each turn you're allotted a certain number of action points it's five and the different hazards and the different types of areas that you explore might require you to use a varying number of action points in order to explore them like for example if you want to get through like a squeeze passes you have to spend one action to move on to the tile and then extra actions depending on how difficult right and the they range is. from they range one two and three right. so the three will actually cost you four actions yeah and it, or like if it's like a scene at like a like a photographic area you have to have your camera with you and you spend one action point to move on to the tile and then another one to take a picture of it but doing these things gets you points but the catch is is that you have to get back to that home base um in order to restock on supplies but you can pack it up too, and then have a make a secondary home base with supplies in it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can take like a little remote camp with you that you can throw some things in as well. That'll help you bridge the gap a little bit. But but the key is if you don't have the food with you at the beginning of your turn, then all you can do is use your entire turn to move one room basically. Yeah. And you kind of limp back to camp until you have enough. And you keep going through um, until all the tiles get drawn basically and then each player has a few turns to make it back to the home base. And then once you've done that, you tally up the different points you get. There's also bonuses for collecting certain sets of the different exploration tokens and stuff like that. And whoever has the most points wins the game. I know that you are, you specifically Emily, like tile laying games. I do. I love the tile laying games. I don't know what it is, but Something about it. Well, maybe because, you know, the first two games we started off with were Ascension and Carcassonne. Ascension's not a tile laying game. No, but I'm saying, I'm saying, (laughs) that's not what I'm saying, Brad. I'm saying when we started off with our gaming career, whatever you want to call it, we had Ascension and we had, you know, Carcassonne. And we Mm. played the crap out of Carcassonne. Oh, we played the hell out of Carcassonne. So that's probably why i like tolling games so much <laughs> so what do you think about this one i know we've never played k2 um so we don't really have that point of comparison to draw toward it kind of felt like Kark zone with resource management yeah <laughs> like i felt like i just you know I, I i enjoyed it probably not as much you know as i would have earlier in our gaming career mm. but uh that was a fun little distraction i liked the game um i think i'm a, the one thing i didn't care for a whole lot with it is there's very little 
player interaction. There's really no way that you cross paths with the other because because even from the main cave, it splits off into several different directions, and there's really no incentive to go behind well, somebody. What would happen if you were in the same? Are you allowed to be in the same? Yeah, if you want to. Yeah, I there's mean, no there's no objection to that, but it's a, but there's no incentive to wanting to travel the route that somebody did because you're going to be they're they'll have gotten the exploration tokens. As they go along, like it's actually more to your benefit to strike out on your own. Right. So in that way, you're kind of playing, you know, some solitaire in that respect. Yeah. Um. So that part it felt <laughs> a little flat. So it's a what a two to four player game. Does it go up to four players? Um. Might even go up to five actually. Well, come to think of it. So basically, it can be an up to five person solitaire game. Kind of, sort of. Yeah. I mean, it's it's got that kind of vibe. So I mean, if you like a really interactive game, um. It's not the greatest for that. I don't know. Like, I, I enjoyed the game, but I wasn't in love with it. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it was a fine game. Nothing. And, and I enjoyed, like, collecting I kinda, the different I, tokens. I enjoyed <laughs> um, getting back to camp to get more food and stuff. I kind of got the, um, what was it? Oh, in Sonic, when you do the water stage and you go underwater mm-hmm. and you couldn't get to the bubbles fast enough and you heard the music. Yeah, when I'm trying to get the <laughs> back to get the food, I hear this music in my head from Sonic when you're running out of air. Yeah, you really do have to pick the right time when it's time to, you know, pack it up and head back to base because you really can't afford to. It, it'll really hamper and, you in order and, to, and see, to like, lose that stuff. With that in mind, also, I mean, I felt like I really couldn't do that much mm-hmm. in the game because I was so limited with with that. You know, you know that you had to ridiculously plan it out. Yeah. Also, like really be meticulous about that. Which I guess, if you like that level of planning, is a good thing. Um, the cave I is like pretty to be good. Organized. I don't want to be that organized. Well, but here's the thing, though. So with the cave, it's it's a harder game to find. So I can't. I I don't know if I'd say to people run out and grab it because it's it would cost you a pretty penny. Um, but it, it's a, it's a solid game if you like that sort of action point allotment. If you like that pre planning, I don't think it ticked the boxes for us because we like to be more in each other's faces mm-hmm. when we play stuff. Well, I don't even need to be in each other's faces, but we didn't really affect each other at all. Like there's no interaction whatsoever. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So we we like things a little crunchier. But but that being said, like I still want to keep the game in play. So I don't <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I it's, there's something about it that I like, but it just if just know that if you like interactive games, um the cave might not be exactly what you're looking for. Yeah. With that one. Agreed. So one we've had for a while um was City Hall. This is a game from TMG, uh, where you are mayoral candidates that are campaigning in New York City uh to try and get as many votes as you can. You do this by you know, um, influencing different political, the influence d- different uh, government offices in the city in order to build land plots and build buildings in those areas and kind of raise the prestige of the areas that you control in order to influence voters. Um, you do this over several rounds and like the different, it's like an action selection game where, um, you know, you, one player puts an office up for nomination. And what's, I did kind of appreciate the mechanic here where, so let's say it's my turn and I want to use the the lobbyists to help gain some influence. Each player has these influence cards that you can use during the game. So I'll put up the lobbyist for bid and I will bid a certain number of influence that I'm willing to pay to use it. And then another player can outbid me. And this goes around until a high bid has been accepted by the table. And then the person whose turn it is can either pay that amount of influence to the bank and they get to use the office or they get to take the influence from the person who bid the highest. And the, but the person who bid the highest 
gets to use the office instead. So in that regard, it's a kind of kind of a neat auction mechanic um, where you can get extra actions as long as you have the influence to pay. But obviously, so the the kind of point you want to do is you want to maybe select offices that might not be beneficial to you, but are beneficial to other players so that you can collect the influence from them as you go along. Um, the game also has kind of a neat thing where when you uh, you can raise your approval rating and then and you also can get a certain number of votes um, or a certain number of population that you influence. And at the end of the game, your score is actually the your influence rating or your sorry, your approval rating times the number of population that you influenced. And that's actually going to be your score at the end of the game. So it's not just about collecting the most voters. It's about it, you know, being being the best candidate. Yeah, being the best candidate out there. And there's also endorsements that you can get for having the most of certain things as like bonus end game scoring and stuff like that. Um, but that was City Hall from TMG. So what what did you say when we finished the game and I asked you how you liked it? This was not the game I said that about. I could have sworn this no, was No, that was Venetia or Venetia or whatever. Okay. What, did, well, what did you, you say keep about this Benetti, one? You it's Venetia. What did you say about this one? I don't remember what I said about this one. I think I think you're pretty bored by it. I was too for that matter. It's it it has the same problem most auction games have for us. There's very few auction games where the mechanic works well for two. Mm-hmm. Like there's this one there's just too many ways around uh you know, around each other, I guess you should say. Right, and I yeah, I think I get you here. Where this is one where the auction doesn't work well because all you're doing is fighting against one other person. Yeah, and where's the fun in that? And also, I the thing I didn't care for either is that there were some of the offices that we really there's some didn't we, didn't, use. we didn't use at all because yeah, there was no the game, point. Like that, like when the, during the game when you don't use a certain office, um, it collects influence from round to round if you don't use it. So really, we were just using them just to collect the influence yeah. cards that were piling up on there. Um. Yeah, I, I just didn't. City Hall just didn't jive with us very well. well I don't in think. fairness, you were worried about this one from the get. So. I was. I, I I got it in a math trade on a whim, um, hoping that it would be good because I had seen it previously and thought it might be something. But yeah, for two players, City Hall just, just didn't kinda, work very nah. well. But I don't even know if I'd recommend it in general. Yeah, this honestly, was, this was not the game I threw shade at. Okay, well, we'll get to the game you threw shade later. But yeah, City Hall. <laughs> Not a great two-player game, um, and especially if you're looking for an auction mechanic. There, we, we talked about this in our last episode or two episodes ago. There's, there's a lot better choices out there for that. Uh, next on the list is one we recently acquired in a math trade. It's part of the is it the Cosmos two-player mm-hmm. line, um, and that was Perry Rodan, and it's real good. <laughs> yeah, this is a really simple um, pickup and deliver game mm-hmm. where you have six planets, and each of the planets has a certain number of goods. And, and you, you can, have a hand of cards. You do have a hand of cards. You have these special action cards. I think both decks for each player are identical. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Just one has the the one ship and one has the other mm-hmm. ship on the back. And you're essentially picking up goods from one planet, um, which are each worth a certain number of points. And you're taking them to the planet that desires them. Uh, when you deliver those goods, you get points. And then new goods come available because all the car- the goods cards are double-sided. So when you deliver the goods to the planet you're going to, you literally just take the cards, you score your points, and you flip them over. And that becomes goods that that planet has for you to possibly pick up. But if the goods are identical, they get removed from the game. Yeah, if when you flip them 
over, if you flip over two of the same type of good, then it actually removes them from the game. So as you go along, I'm paying attention. There's, that's see? right. There's going to be uh, there's going to be fewer <laughs> options available to you, and you are both racing to get to seventy points because whoever reaches that pinnacle first will win. But what's cool is that, like Emily said, there are these cards uh, that you have in your de- in a deck that you draw a hand of. Um, some of them are one shot use cards that you can play on your turn that are called intervention. Um, and you can do a couple of those. Those are like passengers that you can drop off for bonus points. And there's ship upgrades, like extra right. cargo base. So you can pick up more than one good and things like that, or more than one type of good, I should say. Yep. But the catch is to install those upgrades, um, you have to have to spend points that mm-hmm. you accumulate during the game. And the more upgrades you install, the more costly they are because the price to install each upgrade is literally based off of how many upgrades you already have mm-hmm. installed in front of you. Um, and this, so this one, um, I liken it to Merchant of Venus, but just boiled down to the essence of Merchant of Venus without all of the superfluous stuff that merchants that merchant of venus has um yeah i can see that but it worked really well like it 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 played in you know 30 to 45 minutes um the mechanics were really solid uh it has a lot of good decisions to Mm -hmm. make because you have to i enjoy because your points board is the sun and then your planets line up away from the sun so if you're going towards the sun, you can, you move, can faster. move faster than if you're moving away from the sun because of the gravitational pull. I enjoy that as a nerd. I, it's a cool. Nerd. It's a cool mechanic. It, yeah. it makes it because it, it, it adds layers to those decisions when you're picking up the different goods. You say, well, this planet is closer to the sun, so it, I'd get there quicker. But there's not as like I could, if I could pick up three of this one, but it's three planets away, going away from the sun. I completely threw this guy off because he's like, okay, I know what goods you just took, and then I started moving away from the planet. He's like, what are you up to? Mm-hmm. He didn't know I had all these passenger. Right, cards you were in my just hand. dropping passenger cards left and right, <laughs> and it's got a cool system too, where um some of the one shot cards um can actually be blocked because if you play. If opponent uses one of their one-shot cards and you play the same exact card, you can actually cancel the effect from happening, which I did to Emily um, a couple of times, especially oh, at the opportune times. So I could win. Me off yeah, too. jerk. I had heard that Perry Rodan was a really good two-player game. Um, it's again, it's one of those ones that's not the easiest one to find, but I did not realize how how good this game would be. Um, it probably sits at the top of the list for for me in terms of pick up and deliver games. I think as far, especially as far as two player goes, like I like great Heartland Hauling Company and that's not a game that we would get rid of. But I think that especially for two players, this one does it even better. And I think it's the special powers and the upgrades that you can do that really help with that. Well, and you know my feelings on pick up and deliver, but I think that's because the ones that we played in the past, like you said, had the programmed movement, which I don't like. Mm. Um, But I really, really enjoyed this one. It was actually a whole lot of fun. Right. And and this one too, it like it has just the right amount of interaction because the cards that you play are not like super screw you cards, like they're not super take that, but man, it, like if you throw one out at the worst oh, possible time I for your him, opponent. He was he was one pla- he was orbiting the planet to drop off all these goods and I played a card that says switch goods with uh the other player and I had one goods card and he had 3. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty good. Yeah. Oh, in this game, the the other mechanic that this game does that I absolutely love is on your turn you get to you get to take one flight in your ship, and before you take the flight, you have to roll this die to determine how many energy points you have. And energy points are basically the number of spaces that you can mm-hmm. move on your turn. Well, this game does not let you get screwed 
with a crap roll because if you roll a one, you take the one, you keep the one energy point, and then roll the die again and just add it to whatever the roll is. But if you keep rolling ones, as Emily was prone to do during the game, yeah, you I just think get I to bank like four ones and then I rolled a three. Right. So you just get to keep <laughs> banking those energy points. So I love the fact that even though there is a die in the game and even though it's that not die completely luck driven. Well, yeah, because because you can't get I mean, if you roll a two or three, it might not be the best thing for you, but you can't get completely tanked by rolling ones all the times. Because right. if you roll ones all the time, you're like, this is great. I'm just going to keep back, back uh-huh. in action points until I can uh, until I roll an actual number. So, yeah, Perry run in the Cosmic League. If you can track this down, um, I highly recommend checking it out. It's a very, very cool pickup and deliver game. Um, I, I can't say enough good things about it. We were, I was shocked at how good the game actually was. Yeah, he's he's uh been lobbying to play it again. That's how you know. Yeah, if I'm around. I mean, we played 13 days a couple times in the past uh in the past week and a half. So this one, yeah, it's it's a solid solid game for sure. Um, as Emily said, we also played. Is it Venetia or Venetti? I've heard it both ways. Uh, well, me with my you know experience, I would say it's Venetia. Because it was a it's a Venetian blind, so that I would, would make, agree with that you. would make sense. But I've to me. I've heard Venetia too, so I have no idea which is that correct. That sounds like an STD. Okay, <laughs> so uh, Venetia is a Venetia Venetia. Venice is a area control game um, where you have oh, basically on your turn there are these different dice, and the dice fall into either military, political, or merchant categories, if I'm not mistaken. I don't remember. Yeah, they're rolled before each round, and you you draft one of these dice, and that determines how many action points you have available on your turn. And you're essentially, all you're going to be using those action points for is to influence different colonies in and around Italy, around, what is it, like 16th century Italy or 17th century Italy, something like that. Um, Whatever. You're, so you're basically you're trying to put your cubes in, in, in areas to control them. Yeah. Um, once there's enough cubes in the colony, um, whoever has the most cubes gets to put out a podesta, uh, which will help you score more points at the end of each scoring round. Um, and as you go, uh, the different the types of die. I'm sorry. The dice that you select determines how you can place your cubes. So if you take a merchant die, you can place like if you take a merchant die valued at three. You can put out three cubes, but they all have to be in different colonies. If you take a political die, you can put out the number of cubes that it says, but they all have to be in the same colony. And then if you take a military die, um, you have to draw these tiles, these battle tiles, which might get you cubes, um, and it might not get you cubes. It's it, it's kind of varied in terms of how that goes. And the other thing that happens with the military tiles and also every couple of rounds is you have to draw these threat cards. And threat cards are other empires that are coming in to cause trouble um, in areas where you are. Uh, and the, the threat card will tell you where to put the threat. And basically when a, the other empire is invading a certain area, you cannot place influence in that area until you take care of it, which you just have to spend one action point in order to do so. And that'll get you some bonus points at the end of the game. And you keep going around pushing cubes left and right. There's all also a mechanic where each player is going to have one family member who's the doge each you know each round that lasts for a few turns and that gets you a bonus action i we didn't care for this game very very much at all as i alluded to before i threw some major shade at this game because brad's like oh well maybe it will be better with two or with more than two players and i'm like i don't know that more players would help this game yeah he said well then (laughs) Yeah, I I I don't remember you being that uh that frank when talking poorly about a game before. 
I think I've just gotten to a point where I just really know within mm-hmm. like the first couple rounds of a game whether I'm going to like it or not. This game was just boring from start to finish for me. Yeah, and because you're just you're literally just pushing cubes and around like the entire I said, time. I did not like because you have to put the cubes in there so that you can open up the sea space or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I didn't appreciate that the damn pirates yeah, or whatever sometimes, it was sometimes kept military taking my fleets stuff away. So then I had to do it that. again, and I'm like. I think my biggest gripe about this game was the scoring was also kind of convoluted. Yeah, I did not like that at all. It was way too fiddly. There's three scoring rounds in the game, and for each scoring round, you get points if you're in an area, and you get points if you have a Podesta there, and you get points if you've befriended other empires, and you get points for this and points for that, and... It's it's too much. Like Emily said, it's very fiddly, fiddly, sorry, fiddly, very fiddly, and very kind of unintuitive as well. Um. Yeah, this one was not a not a hit with us. Um, and it's there's also at the end of the game this thing where there's one final Doge election, and whoever wins the Doge election at the end of the game can get a massive amount of bonus points. And each player has family cards that are ranked one to six at the start of the game. And as you put these guys up for election, you're going to lose those cards as time goes along. So makes no sense not to do anything but hang on to your six because at the end of the game the bonus points that you get for the doge are the, is the value of the card that you play so especially in a two-player game there's this That's massive huge. swing of points that can happen right. in the last round right. and and also the other thing i didn't care for is that there is completely a lot of the game's luck driven because especially with the military actions you have that stack of tiles well, that you like shuffle and the card draws too for that matter right the card draws because but especially you can't use the cards unless they match the the die that you picked for that particular you know movement whatever mm. you want to call it you know one well, and i think when we played i won by like 5 points or something silly like that and, and it, that was was literally, your, it was literally that last round the doge card well not even that but it was literally because i had a a thing earlier in the game where I was trying to eliminate some of the rogue fleets that were coming in and I just happened to do a military action and you have to use military to get rid of those things and I just got lucky as crap and drew all the tiles that I needed in order to get those to you know pull those tiles off the board which are worth the bonus victory points at the end of the game and I think I may have even had like an objective card that helped when I did that as well um so yeah a lot of luck in the game not a lot of exciting gameplay. I'm glad we picked this up for cheap. I think we got this on a fun again sale or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, Venetia, Venetia. I got it on the clearance rack at games and stuff. Oh, I might have done that too. I can't even remember where I, I know got we it from. Paid like under twenty dollars. Right, it. right now I know it's sitting in our basement and hopefully on our will, quote unquote trade shelf. Yeah, in the trade shelf that hopefully someone will take it off our hands. So Venetia, Venetia, whatever you call it, not great with two. Uh, definite pass. Yes. For us. For sure. Uh, next is another math trade acquisition. Mm-hmm. It's called Oh My Goods. So it's called Royal Goods in Germany. I like that name a little bit more than Oh I My like Goods. I like Oh My Goods. Oh, you like Oh My Goods? I like Oh My Goods. <laughs> it's got my favorite thing, my favorite component in all of games multi use cards. Yeah, that is a good thing. I it's like the best. that. So. In this one, uh, it's it's sort of a tableau builder where you have uh, different buildings that you can build during the game, and each card represents one of those buildings. They also represent a specific good on the side of the card, and if they're face down on top of the building that 
in top of any of the buildings, they represent the good that that building produces. It kind of reminded me, it's like 15-minute Imperial Settlers, kind of. Because you have your buildings, and mm-hmm. then they they can also be used as diff- the different see things. That yeah, you know, like where you can use it, and you can do the different goods and stuff to get the resources yeah, every turn. So, and that's the key. So, each of the buildings that you have requires a certain combination of resources in order to produce for that turn. So, at the beginning of each round, um, you're going to draw a certain number of resource cards for the middle stack, and those are kind of resources that are publicly available. And then after you see a few of them, um, you the you both have to determine a if you're going to try and build a building this round, and b where your worker is going to what building he's going to go to to try and and if you're going to be turn. clean about it or sloppy, right? So like with the clean, um, if if you're organized or whatever they call it, orderly. Um, if you have to have all of the necessary resources to produce, but you get two of that type of good. Um, and then if you're doing, if you're working sloppy, you can ignore one of the resources. Um, but you, but then you only get to produce one of that good that turn. And then each production building also has, um, what's called, I think, um, like a production chain or something like that, where mm-hmm. if the building produces, you can discard more cards out of your hand that match a specific resource in order to produce more of that good. And each good is worth money, which you're going to need to build the buildings, buildings and the higher assistance and stuff right. like that. So once you've made your decision, then more cards will get flipped out of the center row. And it's an indeterminate amount. Um, basically, there's a trigger on the cards that show when you stop flipping cards. Um, and then that's the goods that you have to work with. And you can supplement that with stuff out of your hand as well. But you have to be careful because obviously if it's a building that you want to build, you don't want to be discarding those cards as you go. So it's it's a really fun uh, puzzle to try and make it work, and there's a there's a cool push your luck aspect too, with trying to say, oh, you know, I I need one more brick, and I see only, you know, I, I might get it, but I might not. So, but I'm still gonna yeah, put my guy I here. I definitely had a few of those moments. Where like, okay, I just need this one if I can get, and I couldn't get the card draw. Right, but did you feel like it was unfair? But because you, like you took the risk to no. to do it, so it's my fault. Absolutely, but this and this is a short little card game. Like I think there's only cards in the game. It's like 120 cards or something like that. 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, it's it's a it's a great little game though. Um, I I didn't really pick up on the Imperial Settlers thing, but now that you say that, I can kind of see, um, where that would come into play. That just bounced into my brain as yeah. we're sitting here and you're talking about buildings and resources. I'm like, hmm. Yeah, but this is an excellent little game. Um, highly recommended. Like Emily said, you can play it once you once you know what you're doing in like 20 to 30 minutes with two players. Um, a lot of simultaneous play going on so mm-hmm. it doesn't drag on or anything like that. So that's all my goods. Um, very, very good filler plus, we'll call it. Filler plus. Filler plus. <laughs> so the last game oh, that we're going to talk about this week. I don't um, want to talk about this one. Uh, we have to because we have to warn people away from it. And that is... Tesla versus Edison War of Currents. Now, I remember I saw this game on Kickstarter a little over a year ago, and it looked interesting, but I didn't back it. And then I and then I saw it come out, um, and people said, oh, it's a pretty good stock market game, and it's got a cool theme, and it's got some cool art, and it does have a cool theme, and it does have cool art, and it has cool paper money, or not even paper money, like cardboard, cardboard money. money. And and there's a lot of cool things about it, but this is not a good a good stock market game. game for two players. If you at want a good all. stock market game, get stockpile. See, so yeah, a Tesla versus Edison. Um, you basically have you're running one of the uh, electric company in early 
twenties America. And you pick a luminary to start with at the beginning of the game and you get a certain number of shares in your company. And then there's other shares that you put up that's available for the public to purchase. And throughout the game, um, you're going to be using, taking actions with your luminary. You only get to use each luminary once per round, but you will be drafting more of them in an auction during the game as you go along and the different things you do, you could create like an energy project, um, which helps increase your stock. Uh, you can help upgrade your, um, light bulbs and a different, and one of the power types, either AC or DC. Um, and you need that to do the more, uh, the more complex projects that are in the, that are in the country. Uh, you can engage in propaganda, which will help either, um, Influence the American public towards AC or DC power, which if you're specializing in one of those things, you'd want to do that because there's bonuses um, to using power that the public likes the most. And you can also adjust the fame track, uh, which is not only turn order, but at the end of each round, um, whatever the most famous company is, will get a bonus to their stock portfolio. Or you can go to the stock market and you can buy and sell shares of the different companies in the game. Uh, this takes place over about six rounds uh, with an increasing number of actions in each round because you're going to have the different luminaries that you can draft as you go along. And who, it's not whoever's the most money wins. It's whoever has the best stock portfolio. Therein lies the problem. Right. Whoever has the last turn of the game has the it's advantage. A huge advantage. Huge advantage. Huge advantage because in a two-player game especially, because... You can buy shares of your opponent's stock as well, and they can buy shares of yours. So when you're playing with multiple players, obviously it's incentivized to do that because you'd want to buy, invest in the most profitable companies in order to win. But in a two-player game, it only makes sense to build your own company up and to screw the other player over when it's opportunist the most. Which is exactly what Brad did to me. Right, because when you buy stock in the game, the stock price goes up little by little. But when you sell stock in the game, the stock price drops a significantly. lot. Drops significantly over increasing it. So my strategy was basically just kind of treaded water and bought up shares in Emily's company. And then I got the last action in the game. So what did I do? I sold all of Emily's stock that I that I had purchased and tanked her stock price and then bought up the rest of my stock and raised it through the roof. Now, the problem is Emily didn't really have any of my stock because she was doing the same thing in the rounds previous going up to it. And the issue is in the game is that you want your stock to be high because at the beginning of the game, you get a preferred share that you cannot sell in your company. And that preferred share four, is four worth four stocks. Yeah. Right. So if, if, if your stock, it doesn't matter if you have all of your opponent stocks, but because you, you're still, oh, I'm sorry, but you, I, I'm fired up about this game because the more I, the more I thought about it, the angrier I got about. This is how one of the those game ones works. like we played it that night, we cleaned up, we go to bed, and the next day we get home from work, and this guy's like, you know what really burns me up about Tesla versus Edison? I was like, Jesus, I didn't realize it was such an issue with you. It was. It, and then, the more, the more I thought about like it, a 10 the more, tirade. just the kind of more irritated I was about the design because it, it really makes no sense. Like if, if you're the last player in a two player game, if, if you have the last action, there is no reason in the world that that last action should be anything but sell off your opponent's stock and buy the rest of yours because literally that's going to be the difference in the game between winning and losing in a two-player game. I have no idea why the designers put a two on the side of this box because I would never, ever play this game with two players. I don't even know if I'd play it with three players, honestly. I mean, I guess in, in that regard, you have more 
options as far as stock goes, and it doesn't benefit you to tank one person's stock. Four seems like it would be a sweet spot. Four for seems this. like because there's a lot of competition for stocks, and it goes back and forth, and, and this out of the other, and stuff too. Right, but yeah. Well, and that's the other thing too, because like when you have two players, there's literally a line on the board, and you're not allowed to cross that line to do projects. So it's a super limited area. But that's fine because that's that's and adjusting the map that. based on player well, no, size. I get that, yeah, but. The way it's set up, it's not really conducive to like getting around to the different projects easily, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. No, it, it absolutely does. But but like Emily said, if you want to play a stock game with two stockpile. players, stockpile is the way to go. Stockpile, stockpile, stockpile. Tried Airlines Europe. Airlines Europe didn't jive with us, but at least Airlines Europe doesn't make the mistake of having you investing in your own companies. In the game. In Airlines Europe, you're still investing in other companies, right. and the stock price of those companies is what's important, and stockpiles the same way. It, if you're investing in your own company, and you're forced to carry shares in your own company in a two-player game that makes zero sense, mm-hmm. absolutely no sense at all, I I really, really dislike the fact that Tesla vs. Edison supports two players because it, it just doesn't work. It really doesn't work, and I'm and I'm. This is the meanest I've ever been to a game on this show. I think so far, and and I. But I really feel that way. Like it, it's a really. It, it's not good when you have a design that has such an obvious glaring exploit in it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense. So yeah, stay stay far away from Tesla versus Edison if you have Unless two players. Unless you're playing with more than two. Right, I, but it, I mean again, four players. It plays four to six, or say it plays four to five. I'm sorry, four players, probably a decent game. Two players, please, please play stockpile. You will have a much better experience. I promise, mm-hmm. for sure. Agreed. So that's all the new stuff we've been playing. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to take a deep dive into the games of Antoine Boza. So stay tuned. Welcome back. So, so this week we're doing another. Uh, I was still ranting. He's ranting about, about design <laughs> flaws. I'm sorry, I can't stop laughing because he's still ranting about design flaws. Oh my goodness, Jesus. Anyway, and I don't. I, he sound like a papa's ass because it's not like I'm a game designer and I should down talk to him that much. I it's not that. really rubbed me the wrong way. It's just we know what we like, we know what we don't like. We're moving on. We're talking. We're, <laughs> we're talking about Antoine Bosa this week. Yes. We're talking about a, a designer, a guy who's made a lot of games that we own, a lot of games that we like. Some games a that game were... that led to probably one of the funniest screw-ups we've ever had. Oh, I don't remember this, but we'll get there. We'll get there. You're going to talk about it when we get up to it. Um, but yeah, Antoine Boza. But as much as we like Antoine Boza, and as much as we enjoy his games for the most part, there are some that he's designed that don't work the best with two players. So, Or some that just didn't jive with us. Some that didn't jive with us. So the cool thing I will say about his games is that they they do tend to be ones that scale relatively well across most player counts that they support. Mm-hmm. There's really no game I'd say of his that, well, there might be one game of his that is really not good with two. Um but everything else, for the most part, is the fine. A game that we will only play if we have three or more people. Yes, that we've talked about on the show before. We'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. Um, there's been a lot of games, and he and he makes a lot of different games too. Like he's he's a guy who, 
you don't see a lot of mechanics or themes or things like I mean not well I shouldn't say you don't see themes that you do definitely see themes repeated but you don't see a lot of similar feeling games from him in his catalog I don't think I feel like that he has a very eclectic variety of different types of games that he makes um so let's dig right into this. Uh, let's start with Seven Wonders, because Seven Wonders is probably the best-known game. Uh, we're not going to spend too long on Seven Wonders, because I think we talk about this game on the show this a fair amount. This is the one that we will no longer ever again play with two people. We have to have three or more in order to bust it out. Right, because uh, we've talked about the two-player variant for Seven Wonders before on the show. Um, if you have listened to the show or hear, heard us talk about it before, it just doesn't work well. Um, it uses the the neutral third-player mechanic which we don't particularly care for no. um we actually did a whole episode on two-player variants uh, a few weeks back so definitely check that out to get a more cohesive look at our thoughts about the seven wonders two-player experience um but, but thankfully absolutely love it when we have especially like four players i think it's great right but thankfully knowing this and not wanting People that played with two players to be left out of Seven Wonders. He him made and Bruno Cathala. Seven Wonders Duel. One of our favorite games from last year. Yes. A two player specific version of Seven Wonders that completely retools the mechanics to make it work really well for two players. Instead of a closed draft, instead of a draft where you're passing cards back and forth, um, this uses a pyramid style it's draft. Pyramid solitaire. Right. But it's some awesome. of the, where some of the cards are hidden. So if you, if you take a card it's that. Pyramid solitaire, babe. Yeah. Okay, I get that, but I'm saying as far as from from for drafting purposes, you have to be careful when you expose that hidden card because you might be giving your opponent a really nice card to work True. with that turn. Um, and it plays nice and quickly. Uh, it's got a really you know small foot, well, not small footprint, but it's got small setup time. Um, so a great, great two player game. One of our favorite two player games. One that we've played quite a lot since we got it. We just played it last week. Yeah, last October, um, and completely replaced Seven Wonders for us for two. Obviously, for three or more, we're going to still keep Seven Wonders. It's still a great game, mm-hmm. um, but we will never, ever, 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 ever play it. Play with, the regular Seven Wonders with two players ever again. No. Um, let's talk about one that we've only played once, and this is, and we'll start to get into his cooperative games because there's quite a few. What have we only played once? Hanabi. And we've had it for a while. Really. We've only once. played it I one time. We played that more. No, we really haven't. We've we only play played that it in once. The hospital with him? No, no, we did I not. We brought that with us to play with him. No, we brought, we brought uh, Jaipur and uh, and Love Letter, but we didn't play that. Huh. Hanabi is a cooperative um, hand management game mm-hmm. where when you have a hand of cards, um, you actually the cards face away from you, so all the other players that are playing can see what cards you have, but you can't. And on your turn. Um, you basically, the players can give you a hint as to what's in your hand, but they can't tell you blatantly what it is. So like if you have, you know, three red cards in your hand, they can point to the three cards that are red and and tell you that these three cards are red. And then from there, um, you have to discard a card and you're trying to make these firework displays in order, in numerical order from one to five. And if you go out of order, then it causes problems, and that's how you can lose. So you're trying to work together. I have no idea, because we, we did enjoy it. Um, but how do you feel like this one plays with two compared to how it would play with other player counts? Mm, I think it, I mean, it actually might be a little more difficult with two, just because you have all of the cards where if you had, like, four people, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, you'd have an easier time trying to make the sets, like... If I, if I remember correctly, we we had quite the difficult time trying to get 
everything out in order. Yeah, that is true because when it when it's your turn, you get to pick the player who you give the hint to. So you can go after the player who has the the cards that you need at that mm-hmm. point in time and try to lead them in the right direction. But if neither of you have the card, then yeah, that kind of doesn't work. Well, you can still just discard a card for discard purposes as well, just to get one out of your hand. But it's 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 but at the same time, games like this where you have like hint like hint information that you're trying to pass back and forth, when you only have to do it with one other partner, it usually lets you sync up a little bit more. But Hanabi is a tricky game to play because it's a game that's easy to mess up. Mm-hmm. If, yeah, we did. Yeah, if it will not not mess up like play poorly, mess up and and give someone too much information. You know what I mean? Because you have to try to be like stone faced when you do it. I am the queen of that. I am not a good. I'm not good with with the lying and whatnot. It's not even the lying. It's just like but it's, I, it's I, the same no, thing as code I'm names. Saying I'm just not good with like. What was the one we played? Oh, we played Sheriff Nottingham, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting there. I'm trying to keep a straight face while talking to Brad and telling him, saying, "Oh no, I don't have yeah, but, contraband." But Hanabi is not a bluffing <laughs> game. Like I, I like well, well, no, Hanabi more. To, I'm just usually not good at that kind of stuff. Right, but I like in Hanabi more to like code names, whereas the clue giver you can't drop extra hints yeah. by accident. I'm getting better. I'm see. I'm one of those ones. I spill the beans way too much, and I'm just like, oh, well, like this. And he's like, shut up. You can't say. That. <laughs> like, 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 like. You're specifically not allowed to do like the Simpsons, like the stomping of the foot. Hello, Mister Thompson. <laughs> like while while you're giving the card, uh-huh. you have to be very God, really? very even keel. Gotta sneak in the Simpsons there, don't you? I, I love that episode. That's that a great fun. episode. Just the one. Didn't we watch that with Ian? I don't remember. We did. We don't get to our crawl track anyway. Um. So, but yeah, but how we we've only played once. The two co-ops that we like of his um, that we played more often, um, Samurai Spirit and Ghost Stories. Now, Samurai Spirit did not have a long shelf life in our collection. Uh, why, why did we get rid of this one? We never felt compelled to play it, yeah. which to me means that we didn't. I mean, it's not that we didn't enjoy it. It just didn't hit the same notes as some of the other games, mm-hmm. you know, like Ghost Stories. Because I, I felt like it was trying to be like a ghost stories light kind of thing, you um, know what I mean? Yes and no. Like with with um with Samurai Spirit, I felt like that was sort of like disaster management in a way. Like you're trying to just manage this, you know, impending tidal wave that's coming in, and you're trying not to get too hurt by it. So you're trying to work together to allocate certain cards where they right. where they best need to go. Whereas Ghost Stories, you're actively fighting. A threat, but I'd rather play ghost stories. Oh, I would too. And and ghost stories, I, like we, I don't think we ever lost Samurai Spirit. Now we didn't go up to like the extreme difficulties right. with that one, but in ghost stories, we have trouble winning that game, even on the That's lower the settings. One I was talking about that had the funny story. Because remember the first time we ever played, mm-hmm. and we're going. Oh right. yeah, that's right. <laughs> So this guy, it never fails. He is the rule reader because that's what he likes to do. He likes to be in control with that kind of stuff. So he's reading. I don't the, think you'd have the patience to read the rule books, honestly. Well, you don't have the patience with the kids, so I guess one that's of us true. has to have the yeah. patience somewhere. Anyway, so he's reading the rule book. We start to play the game. So we, I play my turn, and then there's the two neutral players, and you're supposed to go around the board. Well, we were basically playing a four-player game with two players. <laughs> Right, so so basically, we were every every turn, we, even we between our turns, we were drawing out new ghosts to appear on the board, and we lost rather quickly, not surprisingly. And he's like, "Jesus, H, this game is hard." And then I think a couple days later, he's like, "Honey, he's like, we were playing it wrong." I was like, "What do you mean we were playing it wrong?" Well, 
But I, I but I find I find Samurai Spirit so to be funny. to be super hard with two players. Samurai Spirit. That's I meant Ghost Stories to be super hard <laughs> with two players. Um, just because it's you have fewer actions every round, so you're constantly like the threats start piling up. Yeah. And you don't have enough people to truly deal with them. But it's still a fun game. Like, it's still a fun exercise in getting your butt kicked. But it's definitely one of the more difficult cooperative games oh, out yeah, there. for sure. Um, and it's one that I don't think will leave our collection, even though it was one of the earlier games that we ever really picked up um, that I can think of And we actually introduced this to a friend of ours who is a non-gamer. Mm-hmm. But I think we're slowly turning them into gamers. Right. Um. But yeah, he actually had a lot of fun with it too. Mm-hmm. And it's cool because like it's it's a co-op game where it's it's impossible to alpha player the game because there is some die rolling, there is some luck, and you can't just rely on one person to sit there and tell you what to do um in the game. And it, and like I said, even though it's harder with two, it still works reasonably well. Um, but just know going in that you're gonna have that extra You're gonna lose ninety percent of the time. Probably, unless you just get really good at it. Yeah. Or get really lucky. Um, the last two that we're going to cover, actually, sorry, there's three more we have to cover. I was going to say, well, there's you one. can't count. No, I can't. What so, is with you and math lately? You can't math lately. I don't know. I'm not worried about it. So anyway, let's, well, let's talk about, um, Rampage slash, uh, the terror, terror from Meeple, Meeple City, City or Terror in Meeple City. <laughs> um, we have the Rampage version. It really doesn't matter. This is a dexterity game where you're trying to destroy, uh, buildings in the city and eat meeples. I love it. But we don't, but I, I feel like that. A, it doesn't work as well with two players because the setup for two players is exactly the same as three or four in terms of how much how the buildings are set up. So I feel like with two players, it actually takes a little too long um, because you have to knock down all the buildings to end the game, essentially. And I think there's and, and I like the in this game that you can interact because you can throw vehicles at the other monsters and you can attack them. And I think that the interaction would be better with more people. And I think it's which is why we won't play it unless we have more people. I right. guarantee. But I but I think it's quite telling that since we especially got Flick 'em Up and Catacombs and did we get any other dexterity games? I'm trying Caveman to think of Caveman Curling, Tumbling Dice stuff like that. This one really hasn't hit the table that often. Um, it's kind of has has a lower shelf life. And it's got the cool powers thing. That's why it's on the lower shelf. Har, har, har. I'm not even going to acknowledge that with a response. (laughs) Um, But I I feel like that its star has faded for us a little bit. And we haven't gotten rid of it because I think it'll be a fun game for our son once he gets a little bit older. Just because you get to knock monsters around and drop them on the buildings and blow those up and stuff like that. Um, But I don't, like, whenever I want to play a dexterity game, that's, like, it's always either going to be flick them up. Or catacombs, or or something else, and I'm never really reaching for rampage that much anymore. I don't think so. I, I feel like that one's that one that hasn't held up as well. Um, Takaido's a game that we used to have uh, <laughs> that we well, so we we li- I like Takaido, but I think I called it, and, and I've heard it. I think other people call it this the too. Lazy it's River Lazy River. Game. It's Lazy River board game. It's I mean, Lazy River the board game. Yeah, it's got some set collection. Um, it's got some fun stuff, but again, here's a game that I think if you're trying to play it as a game, it benefits way more, um, with more people because there's more blocking that can happen in the game, uh, than with two players where it's pretty easy to go most places that you want to go. I think in Takedo. Yeah, I'd agree. But like I said, I mean, we didn't play it that much with two. Most times when we played it, it was with people who were, we we were introducing games to, mm-hmm. so it was kind of an easy transition for them 
to understand. And it was actually a lot of fun with, I think four was the most we played with. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of fun. Says you. I, I, I've i always been like, I, I never really fell in love with the game. I wasn't in love with it. I'm just saying it's one of those. If I'm learning something mm. with, if, I, or if, if I'm playing a game with someone who's just learning, you know, coming into the hobby, then you know what? That's a fun little time. Now, the last one we're going to talk about, this is probably our number one game from him. It's Takinoko, um, a game that I think works very well across all player counts. And actually, two-player might be... It's a little bit easier because the board's a little less chaotic. You have fewer people influencing right. what's going on in there. And laying tiles and everything Right, else. right, right. It's a little bit easier to get the, 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 the configurations that you want and to get the panda where you want to eat and stuff like that. Um, so it's a little bit easier with two, but still fun. Mm-hmm. And and it's a really good game. Um, the expansion has only made it better um, by adding in the new tiles and, and stuff like that, the Chibi's expansion. So this one... There's baby pandas. There's and a, baby pandas. And a girl panda. Baby panda tiles. I love it. Girl panda figure. So this is one that I think I'd feel very comfortable recommending um, for two players, even if all you played is a two. I've heard some people say not so much, um, but... I I don't see any reason why you wouldn't, other than the fact that it's a little less chaotic, which isn't a bad thing. No. All the time, but there's still plenty of interaction as well in the two-player game, for sure. I just love all the pieces in this one. Well, it definitely has the, the cool, the cool, uh, the a curb little, appeal. The little so. bamboo pieces that interlock, and it's awesome. I love it. So that's that's really all that we've played from Antoine Boza. Um, oh, and... Uh, Shout out to our buddies at Cardboard Clothing because I have myself a Takinoko Panda Express t-shirt. Bamboo Express. It's Panda Express. They yeah. totally ripped <laughs> off the logo from Panda Express. By, by but design. I love it. By design. So, yes. so kind of a mixed bag, I think we found out with Antoine Boza. Um, as far as two players go, some games, like I said, Takinoko works really well. Obviously, Seven Wonders Duel is going to work really well. Um, Ghost Stories works well enough, except it's insane difficult. Yes, as, as you with two especially players, especially if you get to the boss, the big boss. Oh yeah, when when What's can't his remember name? Fei Wu Fang Wu Fang, something like that. So like that, I can't, it's been a while since we played Ghost Stories. Wu, we'll call him Wu Tang. <laughs> Fair work. enough. <laughs> but he does he does definitely have a few games that. Are not going to work as well with two. Um, we, you know, we discussed Takedo not working as well. Obviously, Seven Wonders doesn't work well at all with two players. To but stay that's away why from they that. have Seven Wonders Duel. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you want more for Terra and Meeple City. Uh, Samurai Spirit can go either way, but there's if you're going to buy a cooperative game, it's good ghost stories. Um, what do you think about his games in general? About you know the fun of the designs. About oh, I love it. Like he has. Um, like you said, he has the theming, mm-hmm. you know, which, I mean, it's just great. Like, the Takenoko, everything in there is just, like, you have your little water garden and everything else, oh, you know. Uh, ghost Stories, I love the art in Ghost Stories. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> well, I loved it in Samurai Spirit, too. Like, the little masks and everything on the cars and, yeah, I just, his his games are a lot of fun for me. Like I said, the Rampage thing, when you brought that home, like, I was so excited because I played, that's our cat. Yeah, it's knocking papers all over the um, place. <laughs> I played the crap out of that game mm-hmm. on the, was it the original Nintendo, wasn't it? It came out in the arcades originally, but I think it came out with the NES version yeah, as well. Yeah, and I played the crap out of the game, and I was so excited, and I was a little disappointed that it was a little wonky, but, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, overall, like, I've had a ton of fun with his games. I really have. Well, I, I found, for me, with his games, 
it seems like I like a lot of them instantly. Like I really enjoyed Takaya the first time we played it, and then it kind of faded as time went along. And I really like Rampage when we first played it, and then it kind of faded as time went along. Um, Takenoko's held up for me. Obviously, Seven Wonders Duels held up for me for sure. Ghost Stories is held up for me. But it, all of the other games I've played of his don't seem to have a lot of staying power, which for, for me personally, which is a little odd. Um, I'm not sure why exactly that is. And obviously, we haven't given Hanabi enough of a fair shake. And, and you know, regular Seven Wonders we talk about, we'll play it with more people, mm-hmm. but it's not going to be something we play with too. But yeah, I'm not sure. Like, I, I, I. I don't know what that is about his we games. We don't have to like everything. No, I'm not. Sa- I'm not saying it that I'm like upset or Do disappointed. Do we like every Feld? He's one of our favorites. No, uh, we don't like every again, Feld. Not saying that to say, oh, I'm disappointed. I don't like his games. I'm just trying to struggle to figure out why why that is with his games specifically. Um, that that kind of happens with me. I'm not sure what it is. You're weird. Yeah, that's probably true too. <laughs> well, I, but and but I think what I like about Takinoko and Ghost Stories especially is that every game that you play feels very different. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's the, that maybe that's not the case then. That's probably with like Takedo. I mean, you got the same thing every time. Same you're kind doing of thing. the same exact thing every time. Rampage is the same kind of thing. Like yeah. you just run them to the buildings, dropping them, trying to collect certain colors, that kind of thing. So maybe I maybe maybe we've nailed it down. That's what it is. If it's too samey, we don't like it. Or at least I don't. I mean, you you still like Rampage plenty fine even though. I do. Yeah, it's just I just drop think it it's and eat cute, them, so. okay? I think it's cute. Forgive me. That's okay. I love it. I think it's adorable. So, and, and I think also for me, too, is that when we so really started playing Antoine Bose's game a lot early on, um, that was earlier in our, in, in our introduction to the hobby when we were kind of playing with simpler games. And I think now that especially with you and I, since we've dove into much deeper games, much heavier games. Um, Which you thought would never happen. I wasn't sure. Um, <laughs> But uh, I think his games are, I'm finding a lot of his games to be a little too light for my liking. I'd really love to see if he could put out like a really heavy game. And I guess Ghost Stories is probably the closest thing to that just because of the difficulty of the decisions in the game right. and trying to make the optimal move. So I, I, I guess we figured it out then. That's probably what it is, that his games tend to be a little bit lighter, which is great for you know introductory to non-gamers. I think every game on this list, um, with the exception of maybe Ghost Stories, is easily introduced to non gamers, we played Ghost Stories with Brandon. Well, I'm, I'm, but we had he had we had we were there to help guide him through. Like if you just put this in non in Ghost Stories in non gamers' hands, they might have a little bit of difficulty with it. Mm-hmm. But I think everything else well, um, and works I pretty do know well. That we have had friends come over and they saw Rampage and they wanted to play. Right. So, like I said, it'll be a better not a party game, but you know, mm-hmm. if you have friends and they want to play, that right. would be more fun. So that's uh, so that's our look at Antoine Bose's games. Uh, be curious to hear uh, what your guys' thoughts would be about his games, especially with two players. So hit us up on uh, Twitter or Facebook and certainly can talk about that. Uh, but that's pretty much all we have for the show today. So yep. don't forget that we are affiliated with the Nerdpocalypse Studios network of shows. Um, check out all the other great shows in the network, including the Nerdpocalypse, Dense Pixels, Black on Black Cinema, and Mouthful of Toast. You can also check out the premium membership that we have for 5 bucks a month or 50 a year. And that'll get you uh, weekly episodes of The Airing of Grievances, bi-weekly episodes of Look Forward, and monthly episodes of No Time to Bleed and The Men with the Golden Tongue. So check those shows out. They're all really great. I promise. And again, just a mm-hmm. reminder, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Tabletop for Two. You can find us there. And that's pretty much it for us. So we're going to we're gonna hang them up this week. Uh, we'll see you 
in a few uh, with lots more games because yep. we still have plenty of new stuff to be churning through. We're never going to get this list ever One day. done. One day. B.S. Yeah, we'll see. Matter of fact, B.F.S. on you, okay? Okay. Fair enough. We'll, we'll catch you guys in a couple weeks. See ya. See ya.